Well, let's take our Bibles tonight to the root chapter number three. And this is a continuation the last time about the preparation of Ruth of at the feet of Boaz. And just for the sake of reading and context, Ruth 3 verse 1, Then Naomi, her daughter-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. And then in verse 3, we preach some of this. We'll continue to preach more of this tonight. Naomi tells Ruth, instructs her what to do, and says, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he has done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet. Lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And look at verse number 14. She lay at his feet until the morning. And so the last time, um, a few weeks ago, when I was given to you about the preparation of Naomi's suggestion to Ruth about going to the feet of Boaz. And that's a great part of this chapter. The first, uh, most of this chapter, if not all the chapter, where she is there and she is getting close to Boaz. As you know, she's been working months in the field. Boaz has shown a lot of interest in her. She's shown interest in him. But uh, Boaz has given her blessings. Boaz has given her promises. Boaz has given her grace. Boaz has shown affection toward her and shown a lot of mercy toward her during those barley days. But now it is Ruth's opportunity to show that she wants him just as much as he wants her. And that's where the Lord is bringing us tonight. Somehow in this Christian life, we're going to have to get to the point where we want Him just as much as He wants us. You see, He thinks, the psalmist said, though I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. I mean, when, I'm, when we're suffering, He's thinking. When we're having problems, troubles and trials and tribulations, misunderstandings, and even all the blessings of life, every day we are on His mind. Listen, I, I don't think the Lord gave much thought yesterday to the election, but He gave a lot of thought concerning you. I don't think He's given much thought about the next king in England, but I believe He's given a lot of thought concerning His own children. 
And and the question is tonight, are you thinking on Him? Though He is not poor and needy, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the and, and the fullness, and the earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof, and um, and He doesn't need me, but we certainly need Him. So if He's not too big to think on me, surely I'm not too small, or not too big, or not too proudful to think on Him. We think on so much from day to day life, and I think little of our thinking goes toward the Lord. So now it's Ruth's opportunity to make headway, to make um, uh, 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 interest, show a great interest in Boaz of all the blessings that he has given unto her. Naomi's assisting in this. By the way, it's a simple answer. She's doing exactly what Naomi tells her to do. God is using Naomi and she's listening to good, sound advice. And she does it step by step, what to do about going to the feet of Boaz and laying there until he acknowledges her, laying there until he speaks to her, laying there until he shows a further interest of not just working together and laboring together, but having a, a, a marriage an intimacy for, for, for lifelong commitment. And she's listening to good advice. Boy, I tell you, I was at Hardy's yesterday and I was, I, I was, I was kind of eavesdropping. And I was sitting there eating some breakfast and there was two men probably around my age and they were talking about life. They wasn't being quiet about it. They were talking and they were having, I mean, you'd thought we was in Greece somewhere. They were having, right there in Ardmore and Hardy's, they were having a, um, a um, discussion, talking uh, philosophy, if you will, right, I mean, right there in Ardmore. Two countrymen. And I heard one of them say, if I had my life to do over again, I'll tell you what I would, I'd have done as a young man. I would have talked to every elderly person that I could and to get good sound advice from. You know, that's, you know, I just kept eating and I was just listening and they were talking about the purpose of life and things. And one guy did talk about the Bible and he did throw something in about being saved and, and I just kept on listening. But you know what? That is good sound advice, young men. Is to, uh, if you don't know where you're going or what you're doing, find out somebody else is doing what God's wanting them to do and get some advice from them. Amen? And, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just good to ask questions. It's just good to ask the, the older Men and the young women, ask the older women, uh, got some advice. You know, if you get to the place where you're not teachable, you're in a dangerous place. You're in a very prideful place. And um, 
but anyway, she, she got to the point where she was listening and she was learning from Naomi, but she told her, Naomi specifically said, I want you to watch thyself in verse 3 and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. She has given her this formula, this preparation instruction about how to be successful at the feet of Boaz. Of course, the spiritual underlying teaching here is that we could take this same formula and learn and have a preparation where we have a, a more concentrated walk and learn to spend time at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. As so many times in the New Testament is exampled. Last time we met together on this topic, we saw the cleansing of Ruth. And um, if we're going to get down uh, to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it, it, you know, a lot of times we our prayer time only consists of confessing sin. It seems like we're no better than the Catholic Church that the only time that we talk to the Lord is when we just spend time confessing sin and forsaking sin. And, uh, and if, you know, if you don't keep a short account of confessing your sins, you're just going to spend all your time just coming into the prayer closet of God, coming into the anteroom of God. And all the only thing you're going to be doing is just clearing the, the way of just confessing sin. That's why we always need to be in an attitude of prayer, as Paul said, pray without ceasing. Uh, when we acknowledge sin, when we see sin, when we entertain sin, when we thought on sin, when we think upon sin, we need to learn to confess it and forsake it immediately so we can keep our life clear and clean and right with God. I'll never forget years ago, pastors said this statement, he said, if one phone call can change your life, could in a moment's notice you get a hold of God? Most people can't get a hold of God in a time of trouble and trial. Because the Lord said, if you, if you keep that sin between you and I, if you keep that iniquity between you and I, he said, I will not hear your prayer. Isn't that what he said? And so many times we just got to, Confess up and get cleaned up. I'm talking about having, being cleaned. And when you get to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's more of a private time. It's more of an intimate time. It's more of a quality time and spending time and communion time with the Lord. I'll say more about that in a moment. But she was practicing cleanliness. But in the spiritual sense, we ought to practice cleanliness. There was many people in the New Testament got to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with their sin. In Mark chapter 7, the lady came to Jesus with all of her sin and, and she wiped, her feet, wiped his feet with her hair and wept on his feet with her tears. And, and she came to the Lord in pieces, but she left that day with great peace. The maniac of Gadara came to the Lord Jesus Christ and fell at his feet as a, as a man that was naked and cutting himself and, and full of the devils and legions. But yet he came to the Lord and he got saved and he walked away clean and whole and clothed that day. 
And so the story, and, 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 and many others, the Syrophoenician woman came to the feet of Jesus in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 15 for her devil-possessed daughter that was not clean. And she stayed there until she got aid. She stayed there until she got helped. And it worked. And he, and he said, and he, and Jesus was moved on her faith and healed that Syrophoenician woman's daughter that very hour. I tell you, you get to the feet of Jesus and you can't get clean. But it's better to get to the feet of Jesus already clean from living a clean life. And then we saw the last time Ruth not only was getting clean, but also she was getting into the consecration life. It says in verse number three, she says, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. We saw the references last time how when the anointing of oil, particularly in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when David was anointed with the oil, the Spirit of God came upon him. And many times, that anointing, that endowment of power, like it was written in Luke twenty four forty nine, where Jesus said, Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's the same anointing of the Holy Ghost of God. Not much is said about that. Baptists get scared when you talk about the anointing. Amen. I, I Listen, I, I, I grew up in a church of God background. Didn't go there much, but I, my grandmother, my uncles, I've got a cousin that's a church of God Pentecostal preacher. And uh, But anyway, uh, when I got saved and got saved in an independent Baptist church, and I mean, they tried to balk me and shame me, and they would use words like, your church doesn't believe in the anointing. And, uh, and of course, I'm glad I had a good pastor that I can go to and, and learn the Bible and sit and listen and learn and that knew the Word of God. But you know what? There's a lot of Baptist churches don't know anything about the anointing of God. Don't know anything about the fullness and the power of the Holy Ghost of God. He told those men to tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued, until you be anointed by the Holy Ghost of God. He said in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they were up in the upper room when he told them that, and they were praying for the power when the power came. And if there's no prayer, there's not going to be any power. We want everything God has, but we want it without with God's power. But she got the anointing. She anointed herself. The believer is to be a sweet smell in the nostrils of the Lord. Our lives will be a broken vessel. It will be a broken rose, if you will. Our life ought to be an anointing. It ought to be like in John chapter 12 when Mary of Bethany took that alabaster box and she broke it upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in John 12 that the odor filled the room. Yeah. I remember old brother Billy Allen, that great Cajun missionary, started over 30 churches down in southern Louisiana. He was preaching on that. And he said, I can just see that box breaking and that odor filling the room. And there was ointment on Jesus and there was ointment on her. 
Boy, I never forgot that. And I tell you, if you can get the ointment of God, get the ointment of Jesus, if you can get the fragrance of Jesus in your life, smelling off of your life, it will not just be a blessing to others, but it will be a blessing to the throne of God. Our anointing should be set apart for service. But anyway, Ruth had a cleansing. Ruth also had a consecration life. And then we're going to pick up tonight. And you're going to see in that verse 3, she said, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. Now here's the third thing. Put thy raiment upon thee. Ruth was not to go there tonight and wear just ordinary common work clothes. She wasn't to put on her working does. Her best clothing was in full view here. Ruth, no doubt, had entered Israel wearing the garments of a widow. She had gleaned for months wearing the garments of a worker. And now she's told and she's advised, she's counseled to put on the garments of a woman. And in the same chapter, Boaz does talk to her about being a virtuous woman. In this same chapter, in verse number 11, he calls her, doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. You see, no one would have called her a virtuous woman while she was down in Moab. But once she said, my God will be your, your God will be my God. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Once she committed herself to the Lord, it was right then and there that the Lord began to work in her life to prepare her and to make her a virtuous woman. And when she comes before Boaz, she's not like, she's not dressed like some, uh, street lady at midnight down on Main Street. She's, she's coming in with serious apparel on. She's coming in with modest apparel. And I know Christian folks get uh, a little bit, uh, uh, you know, nervous when you start talking about dressing right. You know, if your heart's right, you'll dress right. Amen. I, you know, I, listen, I know enough about the Bible that uh, from the shoulder, are you listening? From the shoulder to the knee is supposed to be covered. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, boy or girl, from the shoulder to the knee. It's supposed to be loose clothing and not revealed. That book says that even the revealing of the thigh is nakedness. That's why you don't go to the beach and put on your two-piece bikini or your one-piece bikini or your short shorts, amen, because when you show your thigh, man or woman, you're naked. Amen. That's why men, you know, I, 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 I get real amazed in the summertime. You see these guys mowing the grass without their shirt on. And, and they'll, and they'll weigh, they'll weigh in about 350 pounds. Their chest looks like a shag carpet. And I think to myself, boy, he's really proud of himself, isn't he? And I'm telling you, that's nakedness. We always talk about these women being naked and being uh, loose and they're in modesty. But I tell you, sir, you mow your grass without your shirt on, you you naked. 
You go to the beach with your shorts on, revealing your thigh, you naked. I'm good if you cover down to the knee. You say, how do you say that's naked as well? Read Peter. Read how in John 20 he was fishing on that boat. And he saw the Lord, heard the Lord, and the Bible says he was naked and he jumped in the water. But before he jumped in the water, he grabbed his fisherman's coat and put it on him. So he was bare-chested and everything. That was free. But yes, women are to adorn themselves in modest pearls, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. A virtuous woman would do the same. But there's something else more here that we can look at besides a physical outward appearance as we know that God looks upon the heart. I think we can emphasize for a moment that the internal garments of the Lord. Look at Isaiah 61 verse 10, the garments of salvation. Isaiah 61 verse 10. You know the Bible talks in a lost man's world, he talks about a, a filthy garment. The Bible talks about a moth ink garment. The Bible talks about a prison garment. Look here in Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61.10, talking about the garments of God. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decking himself with ornaments and as a bride adorning herself with her jewels. Hey, I'm glad that day I was spiritually speaking like the Moniac of Gadara. I came to the Lord poor, wretched, miserable, naked, poor and blind. And when he saved me, he clothed me with the garments of salvation and he covered me with a robe of righteousness. When that prodigal son came home, he said, you know, he saw him coming and he, the father ran to the field in Luke 15 and he said, put his shoes on his feet, put a ring on his hand. But before he said any of that, he said, bring forth the best robe is what the text says. And I tell you, when you get saved and you get born again and you get clothed in the garments of God and the garments of salvation, washed in the blood of the Lamb, you get clothed with the best, the best robe. I'm glad I'm clothed, not just physically tonight, and I'm sure you're glad I'm clothed physically. But I'm glad I'm spiritually clothed. Amen. There's a lot of Pharisees that's got a dress on, dragging the ground like a mud flap on an 18-wheeler, but they're naked as a jaybird when it comes to salvation and the garments of God. Well, Amen. There's some things that we can see internally here. Go to, Re- go to uh, Revelation chapter 19. You know, you might be saved and have the righteousness of God. And that's what we call your, your, your standing. That's how we stand with the Lord. But how you live from day to day is your present state. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Look at Revelation chapter 19. And he says in verse number verse number 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife 
That's the church. Hath made herself ready. He's going to get out the spot. He's going to get out the blemishes. He's going to smooth everything out. He's going to get, he's going to iron it all out at the judgment seat of Christ. And by the time we're presented to the Lamb, an honor before Him, it's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be right. And verse eight, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now watch it now. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. While you might be saved and clothed with the garments of salvation, have the righteousness of God upon your soul, that's how you stand positionally and pure and perfect before, before the throne of God. But our present state should live holy and godly in this present evil world and we should live a righteous life from day to day. So we need to clothe ourselves with some things. We don't want spotted garments on our life. We don't want spotted garment as we're uh, fellowshipping and walking with God. Look at some things that you can put on. Go to uh, Colossians chapter number 3. Talking about some spiritual garments we need to put on. And keep them on. Look at Colossians chapter number 3. Just let the Bible speak to you tonight. No way I can preach through all this tonight, but let the Word of God speak to you in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Mortify there your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, even conspicuous and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, we're to put off those things. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You wonder why God's chasing you. You wonder why God's wrath is upon you. That's because you won't mortify the sin that's in your life. Verse 7, in which also you walked in some time when you lived in them. But now, this is salvation. This is after you've been saved. You've been born again. The Holy Ghost lives within. He wants you to dress with these kind of new, uh, new, uh, clothes and, and living. But now ye also put off all these things. Anger. You know, we look at this and we think, <clears throat> you know, we look at this list and we see these things and we think, you know, well, if I, you know, in our Christian life, I'm to put these off. Yeah, you're to put them off in your home too. It's not just with the brethren I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm not supposed to be angry with my wife. She's not to be angry with me. I'm not to be wrathful with my children. And I'm not to have malice and blasphemy and filthy communication with my wife and with my children and one with another. We only think that means with God's people in the church, but that's with everybody that we come in contact with, including our own family. We're to put these things off, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, but I have put on the new man. See, here's some garments, here's some clothing that we should put on, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, whether there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, uh, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. But put on therefore as the elect of God, holiness, beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, that includes husband and wife, that includes wife and daughter and daughter and son and, and, and you know the whole ball of wax 
Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. Well, there's a good list to put on, and there's a good list to take off. But above all these things, put on charity, which is in the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts and to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. There are some things to put on. You trying to live your Christian life, just try to live Romans, uh, Colossians chapter 3. That's enough in that text to keep us busy for a lifetime. Amen. Some things to put off. Look at uh, Romans chapter 13. There's, there's other lists that we can read. Uh, look at Ephesians 4. Look at Ephesians 4. There's some other things that we can, another list we can read. Look at Ephesians 4. He says, verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. You remember our verse in Revelation 19, verse 8? The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. God says we're to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Not much is said, not much is said anymore about true holiness. You know why? It's too convicting. It's too convicting. Preaching about holiness and true holiness. Created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. There's God's people came get along with their neighbor. That's because you don't know what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. You don't know what it means to be filled with the power of God. You can't get along with your neighbor. You can't get along with with just family folk. I'm not talking about folk out in sin and being rebellious against God's word. I'm talking about you just simply can't get along with people. Anointing of God and the fullness of God and walking with God take care of that. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Me and my wife, we made a commitment 30 years ago. We wouldn't go to bed mad because of that verse. That's why sometimes we stay up till the break of day. <laughs> Amen. Somebody's going to have to say, I'm sorry. Somebody's going to have to give in here so we can get some sleep. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I've woke my children up at 2 o'clock in the morning with tears rolling down my face apologizing to them. Because the sun was already down, but I couldn't go to sleep. You say, why'd you tell us that? Somebody needed to hear that. Because you know some moms, you know sometimes parents need to apologize to their kids. Parents will fight and fuss and yell at their kids and everything, but never go to them and say, I'm sorry. You always expect them to say they're sorry. It's hard to find parents that'll humble themselves and go and talk to their children. Sometimes parents, we parents, and I've said I'm sorry to my children more than once. Sometimes you need to do it. You might lose them if you don't. You might gain them if you do. 
Then the Bible says, Neither give place to the devil in Ephesians 4.27. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. I'm talking about things you put on. I'm talking about this spiritual garment of holy right living. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Hey, if your mouth does not edify, it needs to shut up. You know, the old saying is, if you can't say anything good, don't say nothing at all. Right there it is in the Bible. Well, amen. I tell you, a good dose of Holy Ghost power, clean up your mouth. Good dose of Holy Ghost power, clean up your mind. Good dose of Holy Ghost power will clean up your manners. Filthy communication corrupts good manners. You show me it's got a, somebody's got a dirty tongue, I'll show you somebody's got a dirty life. Well, amen. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Hey, when you talk, sir, when you talk, ma'am, is your speech seasoned with grace? Is people afraid to talk to you because you're just going to go ballistic? Man, I don't want to talk to her no more. I don't want to talk to him no more because they're a basket case. I'm telling you, a good dose of the Holy Ghost of God would take care of that. But that which is to the use of edifying, that it may minister. Does our mouth, does our manners, does our life minister grace unto the hearers? We all know people that we don't want to hear talk. Here it is, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So if you're practicing these things, you're going to, if you're practicing the negative of these verses, you're going to be grieving the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And I'm talking about putting on some things. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That book says that husbands are to love their wives and be not bitter against them. You boys doing all right? (laughs) Be you kind one to another. That'll help a good home. That'll help relationship with your family, with your kids. That'll help relationship anywhere in the workforce. A soft answer turns away wrath. Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you. We'll have more compassionate than the bum on the street during Christmas time than when we're with our own family and our own our wife and our own children and our own husband. God help us. There's some things to put on. There's some clothes. Look over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. You see, if, if we're going to prepare ourselves for a life at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to have to start living a life that matches that communion and that walk and that fellowship while we're at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll get that in a moment. I'll get more into that in a moment. But look at Romans 13. 13 verse 11. And that knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep. We're living in that generation where God's people are asleep. 
Preachers are asleep. People of God are asleep. It's high time to wake out of sleep. Young people are asleep. Old people are asleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. What's that talking about? The coming of the Lord. That the night is far spent. The day is at hand. What do we do? The Lord's coming back. He's drawing near. It's almost getting out of here time. The night is far spent. We're in the fourth, fourth watch of the night. What are we going to do? The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Won't you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, if there's any, show me works of darkness and I'll cast it off. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a righteous, there's a garment. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So in the light of this, how appropriately are you dressed tonight? Talking about roots cleaning, roots consecration, roots clothing. Go back to Ruth chapter number 3. She says, Wash thyself, verse 3, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee. And watch this little phrase. And get thee down to the floor. The next is Ruth's commitment. Naomi said, when you get there, you need to get in your proper place, in your proper position, and you need to get get down to the place and get thee down to the floor, getting there at the feet of Boaz. Wait till he's done eating. Wait till he's done drinking. Let him take a nap. Let him rest a little bit. And then you lay yourself comfortably. In verse 6, and she went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the heap in the corn, and she came softly. She didn't come in stomping and yelling. You know what that book says about ladies in First Peter chapter number 3? That there would be a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God, a pearl of great price. She didn't come in loudmouth woman. She didn't come in stomping her away. Hey, I got something to tell you, Mr. Boaz, and this is the way it's going to be. She came in with humility. She came in with humbleness. She came in with her mouth closed and came softly and uncovered his feet and laid, her, and laid herself down. She did exactly what Naomi said. You say, did it work? Absolutely. You've read the end of the book. Preacher preached on it Sunday night. What's happening? She becomes part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all worked because she got committed. She got down to the floor. If she was ever going to get the rest at the feet of Boaz, if she was ever going to get the best that Boaz had to offer, she would have to be committed enough to the idea she had to leave where she was and get to where he was. She had to respond with an interest. He's already did all so much responding He's already did so much taking care of her. Now she is showing a response to him. And and same as our walk with the Lord. Many times, many times the Lord's over there. And he's waiting on us. He's behold, I'll stand at the door and knock. 
And you know what? According to Revelation 3.10, he's just waiting for us to open the door. He's just waiting for us to invite him in for fellowship and for worship and for supping around the table of God. And listen, listen, so many times we leave him standing at the door knocking. We leave him over there when we're over here doing our own thing, our own way, got our own mind, our own thought, and our own agenda, hey, we got to get committed to this stuff. We got to get committed to the Word of God. We got to get committed to the things of the Lord. And while the Lord's over there doing His work, His will, His way, we have got to get in on what where the Lord is and what the Lord's doing. And to do that, we got to get committed to Him. Until we make that commitment, we will, regardless of the cost or the effort, we will never find ourselves enjoying his best while we're at his feet. And let me bring it down to this. Look at verse 3 again. And you know what? It takes a measure of humility to do what she what she done. For her to get low, for her to lay at the feet of a man, for us to get to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody in the New Testament got to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether they were saved or surrendered and sold out for God, it doesn't matter. They all had to humble themselves. They all had to think less of themselves and more of Him. They all had to get down to the floor and humble themselves underneath the mighty hand of God. That's what James teaches us. Humble yourself underneath the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. The Bible says that God resists the proud but giveth more grace unto the humble. And so if we're going to find ourselves daily at the feet of the Lord, daily sitting there with Him and being with Him, we're going to have to learn to humble ourselves. And then she says, But make not thyself known unto the man until she have done eating and drinking and we know that she made a complete private time out of that. And I, and I want to give you this as I close. I want you to look a little bit at Ruth's conduct. Naomi tells Ruth to wait until Boaz is alone. Wait till he's finished with his public business. Wait till he's had a little drink and a little rest and a little food. This is not to be a public spectacle but it was to be a private, are you listening? It was to be a private communion. In other words, she is not to make a scene in public. She is not to call him out in front of everybody. She's not to shame him. She's not to embarrass him. She's to honor. She's not to put him on the spot. She is to wait until she can meet with him in a private place. And let me say this. A lot of our worship that we do is right here in this public arena. But we must learn. Are you listening? We must learn before we come to this public place and sing and fellowship and hear from God and worship publicly. We must learn to develop a time of private and a time of intimacy and fellowship and worship of the Lord Jesus Christ and learn how to spend a long time with the Savior. Let me read you something from Mr. E.M. Bounds. He wrote great material on prayer. He wrote a lot about spending intimate time 
and fellowship time and a communion time with the Lord. We'll never learn to worship until we learn, as they did in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 6, those ladies, the Bible says, fell at his feet. They held him by his feet, the Bible says, and they worshipped him there. We'll never learn how to worship till we know how to learn to spend time with the Lord. You'll never find yourself at his feet until you learn how to get at his feet in a private way. Listen to this. E.M. Bounds, I'll read this paragraph. Listen to this. It's out of his book called Prayerless Praying. Listen to this. We must live for God out of the prayer closet if we want to meet God in the prayer closet. We must bless God with praying lies if we want to have God's blessing in the prayer closet. We must do God's will in our lives if we want to have God's ear in the prayer closet. We must listen to God's voice in public if we want God to listen to our voice in private. God must have our hearts out of the prayer closet if we want to have God's presence in the prayer closet. If we want to have God in the prayer closet, God must have us while we're out of the prayer closet. There is no way of praying to God except by living to God. And then he goes on to say the prayer closet is not a confessional simply, but the hour of holy communion and high sweet communication and intense intercession. And then he quote, then he says this phrase, if you don't hear anything, hear this, men would pray better if they live better. And that's true. I'm talking about getting a a life where we can go and get to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's not just about confessing sin and catching up on the weak and, and coming in as fast as we can. It's about holy communion with the Lord. And the best way I can example, give you an example of this, the Bible example in Matthew 26. You can go home and read it in Matthew 26 verses 36 through 41. This is where Jesus, Judas is out there getting his mob together to, to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to the garden of Gethsemane. Listen, get this. Jesus comes to the garden of Gethsemane. We're talking about a private place. We're talking about a communion place. We're talking about getting down to the floor. We're talking about uh, getting worship in on a private thing with the Lord. And he, and he comes to the garden of Gethsemane and he tells eight men, he said, sit right here and pray. And then he took take Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says they went into the garden. Are you watching? He left eight men right here at the edge of the garden. And then he took Peter, James, and John further into the garden and he told them to pray. And then the Bible says that the Lord himself went a little further into the garden and fell on his face and prayed. And that's when he prayed and his sweat became as great drops of blood. And my example to you tonight, listen, how far in the garden of God do you want to get? Listen, most of God's people are so content of being on the edge of the communion of God. They're so content with a little prayer life. They're so content with a little, with a little, uh, uh, some kind of a vain repetition prayer to the Lord. They're so content wandering right here while some make an attempt to get further into the garden. But very few people 
like Mary of Bethany, actually gets real close, deep into the garden of God, where they can see the sweat become as great drops of blood. Where are you at tonight? You out here playing church? Are you trying to get further into the garden of God? I'm telling you, our lives need to be lived in such a way where our time with Jesus is not just about us, but it's about Him. 